podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Simon Mann and Simon Hughes with you here to look back on the international season. England's fixtures have now finished for 2018. And it's been a sort of mixed weekend, really, with a, a fantastic performance of the men to win 3-0 in Sri Lanka and the disappointment of the women losing the final of the T20 World Cup to Australia. They're uh, constant enemies. I suppose, in the end, professionalism talks and the Australians have so many more professional women than men and it just looked like that actually the way that the two teams played but anyway well done to the to the women for getting to the final in the first place and uh, let's look at the men and, and that performance in Sri Lanka Simon hmm. I, I, I suppose the first thing to say is uh, you know if you looked at the series say six months out two things you wouldn't have said is England winning 3-0 hmm. And man of the series, Ben Folks. Yeah, I, know. I mean, I, if, if you'd got that double as a betting person, I think you'd be you could retire basically. Well, well if you'd said at the start of the series it was going to be three nil, you probably probably would edge towards Sri Lanka. But actually, as it turned out, they were a little bit of a rabble. They had lots of problems mm. around their uh, their team, and England just looked a more a professional outfit. I mean, just let's look at the Sri Lanka situation. At Harath, fine retired. bowler, retired. Captain Chandimal came back after being banned for um, ball tampering in the West Indies, injured in the first Test match. You had the the allegations of, of match fixings or swirling around before the series. You had Akila Dananjaya, their their spinner, called for throwing mm-hmm. and and missed the third Test match, so had to go off and see, have his bowling action analysed in Brisbane. You have Angelo Matthews, who was out of the one-day side and then sort of eased back in, sort of, sort of feeling as perhaps slightly disgruntled within the, the framework. I mean, when he made those runs in the, the second Test match in Candy, he sort of pointed to his bat and sort of did the talking motion, didn't he? And so I'm letting my bat do the talking. So there's, you know, there's that whole sort of feel around the side. And the fact, of course, is they don't have those many of those top-class players that they used to have, that we you know we just associated with Sri Lanka cricket for so many years. You know the likes of Sangakkara and Jaya Wardner and Jaya mm. Sarir, mm. if we're allowed to say his name, and uh, Matai Muralithram. You know players like that, and other, you know and and Jaminda Vass as well. You know they don't have that quality of player. They have you know they're a, they're a decent ish on the side. I who were at, who were you know outplayed by a professional England? Yeah, team. I mean that's that's the word, isn't it? Professional, because I, I I suppose the thing about Sri Lanka when they first came on the scene and for you know fifteen years or so as a Test team as a one day side, they almost caught the other countries napping a bit, especially in one day cricket with the way they played. But other countries have caught up now, and the professionalism of especially the English actually and and to a lesser extent the Indians really in the last sort of 12 months or so, is really noticeable. For instance, in the fielding, you know, the yeah. England catching incredible performances by Keaton Jennings, Ben Stokes, Butler. Well, Leach as a well. A run out from Leach Absolutely today. Absolutely brilliant. And, and it was a really crucial run out as well because at, at that stage, it looked as if Sri Lanka, you know, it just could get the runs. Mendes was run out, brilliant mm. piece of fielding. And, and things like the fitness, you know, you look at the partnership between, say, Butler and Stokes, 
in that absolutely sapping heat in Colombo, where they were running twos and really putting the fielders under pressure. Their shirts were dripping wet, but you could see the fitness. And I, I gather after one day's play, when they were in the field all day, they were running around the boundary at the end, you know, actually doing some more fitness work. Things like no balls. You look at those two wickets to no yeah. balls to Sri Lanka. A spinner bowling no balls. Well, England are pretty much more or less eradicated well, no we, balls. Well, from... we think they are. We just don't, they don't, they don't call well, them anymore. Yeah. That's just not taking wickets yeah. off well, no I mean, balls. It's, it's, it's a difficult one, that, isn't it? Because should the umpires be calling more so that the, the bowler knows he's close? Well, yes, in a way, I think... I mean, certainly in my day, the, the umpires would warn you. Yeah. If you, I always used to get close to the, to the line with what, my heel... What would they say? With my heel raised. And the nice umpires would say, you're getting a bit close, Yosa, there. Come back a bit. Yeah. Come back a bit, you know. Some or two, one or two of them who were a bit more uh, curmudgeonly, yes, would would not say anything, and then just and then call, you. call you. Yeah. And those umpires, you actually didn't have that much respect for. But at the same time, without sounding too critical, you shouldn't really get that close to the line if you're a spinner, especially. I mean, even the fast bowler shouldn't really, but the spinner set, certainly shouldn't be so close to the line. So I blame the coaches actually, and, and the, the players themselves. Because, you know, the, the, the old habits of running up to bowl in the nets or in practice and overstepping are still very common and they should be eradicated. Coaches should just make sure there's enough coaches out there to check that the bowler's landing behind the line. And bowlers, this sounds like the pot calling the kettle black because for years I no-balled and I famously got boycott out and for naught with uh-huh. a no-ball. And my, my father didn't speak to me for three days afterwards because he'd been banging on about no-balling for years. I bet well. Jeffrey spoke to you though, didn't he? Oh, I bet he reminds you about a it. a wry smile yeah. appeared on his face. Yeah. I've had a nice email from Jeffrey actually saying he's, he's well and he's walking 25 minutes every other day and trying to get back into golf. Lovely sunshine helps oh. in Cape Town or Pal, wherever oh, he is. Yeah. So he sounds all right. He's, he sounds quite chipper. And he, he was even, I noticed he was even, sort of actually praising England's batting for their sweeping. Praising them for their sweeping. Yeah. He was saying, well done. You know, they practised something and it worked. Just on the umpire, I'm, I, I can sort of understand... A little bit of me can understand why they're not calling the no balls because there's so much focus up the other end now because they're under so much scrutiny with the technology. And, you know, they know in a way that technology will help them out on the no balls, that if someone is dismissed off a no ball, they'll just be called back so they won't ultimately uh, cost a player their wicket. And the other thing as well, of course, is if they call a no ball and it isn't one, that will not be overturned. So a player... If an umpire calls, well, that's play, happened, hasn't it? Exactly, it happened in the match between Adam yeah, the match between Australia and New Zealand. So, mm. you know, you can sort of understand their mm. reticence. Yes. So it's really tight, and you know, obviously, you're supposed to, you know, not call it unless you're absolutely sure. I would sure. rather have it that the umpires just talk to the players yeah. more. And I, I don't know how many of them do. I sure, I know one or two of them do, but I would like to see the umpires in that last game. S. Ravian and Chris Gaffney actually saying to the bowlers, the spinners, you're getting a bit tight there. I want to see that interaction because it's really important. The bowlers need to know because you don't know necessarily. You're landing in the same place every ball. You're not necessarily looking at your footholds all the time. You're thinking about what you're bowling and, and trying to get into a rhythm. So you need to be told. Actually, I, I mean, we want some uh, some questions from you listeners. I mean, one of them might be, a question could be, uh, what do you think should be done about no balls in international cricket? Do you think that it should be all adjudicated by the third umpire? Do you think we should go back to, like Mike Selby's recommended, going back to the back foot yeah. no ball law? 
uh, which may be easier to adjudicate. So if you have any thoughts on that, you can email us to theanalystpodcast at gmail.com. We want lots of your interaction and thoughts about the game going forwards, which we'll uh, remind you about again. Yeah, we thought actually, you know, what, what could we change in the game? What 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 is crying out for change in the game? We'll get to that in the second half. Yeah, I, I mean, just to go back on on England for a minute, you know, the stars of the summer and winter for England, Surrey men, yeah, neither of whom you'd have thought would be in the team at the beginning of the year, Sam Curran. Man of the series against India, though that could have gone to a couple of other people, and then Ben Folks, Man of the Winter, and Man of the Series in the Winter, and well, a fantastic performance. Two hundred and seventy-seven runs, average what sixty-nine? Sixty-nine, yeah. Uh, hardly ever dismissed. Uh, played in a very composed, authoritative manner in Test cricket. It looked as if he'd been there all his life. Kept Johnny Bairstow out of the team, justifiably, and. And well, kept well as well. Yeah, uh, so he, he's there for for good, isn't he? Well, possibly. Possibly, well, he, I can't we'll see, see why he wouldn't be. Well, I, I suppose I, I, testing I tell you him what, out in, in seeming conditions. Exactly, I can I can see why he wouldn't be. Mm. When push comes to shove, when you get to the Ashes, when you look at the balance of your side, you might actually say that you you want Besto as your wicket keeping batsman, but then, of course, you get the problem of where does he bat in the order. Mm. I mean, England's still got the problems at the top of the order, which they're yeah. trying to solve, I think, and, and yeah. they haven't really got that much closer to solving them in Sri Lanka. Certainly not, the openers, anyway. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm not saying they necessarily would have done, you know, because it's the conditions out in Sri Lanka are so different from the ones that they're going to face next summer against mm. Australia. Mm. I mean, you, you talk that's about chalk t- and cheese, it really is. It's yeah, so, they're just so far but, apart. But actually, if we have a baking summer, then maybe they won't be. Well, you know, the, yeah. We're not playing Australia until August, yeah. so there's a long time to, yeah. to, to go until okay. some serious I'm looking test forward, cricket. I'm looking forward to Australia playing three spinners in the first <laughs> test match, <laughs> and England, England playing three spinners as well. It's, it's not going to happen, is it? No. I mean, it was a baking hot summer last year, but that series between England and India was still dominated by the pace bowlers, wasn't mm. it? Leaving grass on. Exactly, and yeah. watering the outfield, so mm. I would, be, you know, it's not, it's not going to happen. So the difference is so great. Uh, I suppose it's just about how you. Well, you're right about the the idea of sort of perhaps almost going with Bearstow as the wicketkeeper batsman if you play a Seymour-orientated attack, because firstly the keeper stands back most exactly. of the time. It's almost like the A. B. de Villiers role that he did used to play for South Africa. Sometimes when they decided not to play the premier keeper because he wasn't as good a batsman, they gave the gloves to, to de Villiers. Now I, I'm not saying Bearstow's like de Villiers as a keeper; he's much better. But it's that same kind of scenario. Don't waste a key spot for your wicketkeeper if he's mostly standing back. But then again, standing back in England isn't as easy as, say, standing back in Australia, where the ball doesn't do much, it doesn't wobble much, it carries through a fairly nice height. In England, it dies, it dips, it swerves. You know, you do have to have a really good keeper. And those kind of two or three key chances taken by a good keeper, missed by someone perhaps not absolutely 100% top-notch, can be the difference. Yeah. You might not need, it seems to me, you might not need, a, you know, a folks and a Bearstow in your team when it comes round to the Ashes. You might, you might want, you know, another option in your side. You, it might, you might want, to, for example, pay four seamers and two spinners. But you still got to solve that problem at the top of the order because those batsmen, those all-rounder type players like Bearstow, need to bat somewhere, and someone's going to have to bat one to three, or more specifically, someone's going to have to bat three. And I don't think really Bearstow can keep wicket. 
and bat at three. No, no. Not not really. I mean, you could bat first, couldn't you? If you were batting first, you could mm. d- do that job. But it's 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 a t- it's an ordeal that. To, yeah, to... yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, one other player just to pick out. I mean, Butler, Joss Butler, the way he played in 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 all the tests. I mean, so many different styles. You know, one innings he'd be sweeping all the time, reverse yeah. sweeping. Then the next innings, down the wicket, hitting it straight. Almost as if he was uh, challenging the bowler. Right, I'm going to play this way. OK, now the bowler's trying to counter it, so I'm going to play another way. Yeah. I mean, he is close to the the game-changing ability of Kevin Peterson. At the moment, he doesn't play quite as long an innings as Peterson uh, and, and quite as sort of powerful an innings in a way Peterson sort of strutting around as he did and having that sort of huge presence mm. but in terms of changing the tempo of a game and an innings and a way of playing Butler is having as much influence yeah well we'll, we'll see on that one I think that's, that's, a, that's a big call that actually well I know look, Peterson made 100 tests and Butler's played what 20 odd or something it's, it's, a, it's a big way to go he's got one test 100 Peterson got 22 so you know, phenomenal cricketer, Kevin Peterson. Josh Butler's played 28 test matches and he averages 36. Yeah, it's, it's not much at the moment, but I feel that there there is a there is a huge phenomenon about to come out there. You know, in a way, if you bat at number six, you can have less massive impact. You can have certainly an influence, but you can't have quite the same dramatic impact as, say, Peterson had in some of his innings at number four. Yeah. But you can still have a, a very important say on the tone of a game and, and change it. Yeah. Well, watch this space on jo- Joss Butler. What about Joe Root? We haven't mentioned him at all yet. England's victorious captain. He has not only won eight tosses in a row, he has won seven out of his last eight test matches now. Is, is there a feeling that this is more his side now? There's no as to cook in it. In, in this test series, he, there, there was Stuart Broad or... Jimmy Anderson were, were missing. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a slightly different side in the making. Yeah, and, and just the way they play. You know, the the freedom with which they play, and that that clearly comes from the captain, and to a lesser extent from the coaching staff. That there is that the the, t- the people who run the team now are Root, Stokes, and Butler, really, and they have a very positive, aggressive way of playing. I think they're all very smart cricketers. I think they really think about the game deeply. I don't ever think that Alistair Cook was a deep thinker about cricket. I think he was a very dedicated man, but he was someone who who didn't kind of explore opportunities and different ways of doing things. I think he had a way of doing things, and that was it was that way or or the highway. And I don't mean that in a dictatorial sense, but I just didn't think he had a broad imagination. Whereas I think those three guys are perhaps from you know playing in the IPL, from interacting with a lot of cricketers from around the world in that kind of format of the game, playing being brought up in one day cricket as well, very much more than than, than Test cricket. They have a, a, a much broader mindset, and therefore there's there's much more kind of uh, flexibility in in England's thinking, which is which has been to to roots and the team's great credit. But should we read too much into England's three 0 victory in Sri Lanka? Well, you pointed out about the Sri Lankan players and the team, so no. But the fact that they ruthlessly won three nil. Was was a great fillip to them, and in unfamiliar conditions that that 
you know, the English players are not used to. Yeah. I mean, but it's they adapted so hot, to it it's very so well. hot out there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's very hot. Dry pitches, balls turning, hardly face a seamer. What was it? 100 wickets in the series taken by spin yep. out of 116. And hardly a wicket taken by Sri Lankan seamers. The opening bowlers almost invariably spinners. So uh, I think a huge credit to England. They've gone to number two in the world now. They've beaten a weakish team, but they've beaten them in their own conditions, which is impressive. And they've beaten them 3-0. Yeah, I mean, ultimately all you can do is beat the side in front of you. I suppose one thing you could say, well, you could have, you know, you could have beaten them by 200 runs every time or you could have beaten them by an innings and whatever. Um, that didn't happen. And actually, the, the last two test matches were probably a bit closer than England would have hoped for or imagined. Certainly the final game where Sri Lanka got within 42. I just wonder whether that... I mean, it looks so obvious that they were going to win on the after the three days play. Whether you you know you you are sort of thinking at the end of a long tour, you are sort of you do ease off a bit, and and consequently that's the sort of thing that happens. But I, I never felt really for a moment that Sri Lanka were going to win mm. the third test, even though at times they they were just threatening to cause a, a sensational upset. Right, well, well done to England and especially to Joe Root, who can enjoy his Christmas. Although, actually, of course, he's going to be in Australia yeah. for Christmas alongside a couple of other England players playing in the Big Bash. Nice hot Christmas for Joe Root, probably not so much for the others of us. Anyway, we'll continue our conversation after the break. OK, welcome back. Now, Simon, I've got a question for you then. Of all the England players who are flying home or flying to Australia or wherever they're going from Sri Lanka, who do you think should feel the most satisfied with their performance over the last, well, two months, really, going to be playing white ball cricket as well, but more perhaps specifically over the last month in the Test Series? Who, who would you think you know, would be just sort of bursting with pride at what they've achieved? Well, Ben Folkes, obviously. Uh, secondary to him, yeah, Jack Leach, I guess, who uh, he's been night watchman. He's been uh, affected runouts, and obviously he's the England's equal leading wicket taker in the series with Moen Ali, eighteen wickets. So bowling pretty well in conditions which I suppose were a bit like home, certainly in terms of the dry pitch, if not the temperature, was a, a very creditable performance. I think he probably was a little bit flattered by the inability of the Sri Lankan batsman to to stay in, really. And I, I think that being, you know, hypercritical, he's not quite the finished article yet. He's He's got a good basic action. He doesn't turn the ball a huge amount. And I think at the moment his line is a little bit variable. I think he could have a bit more control over his line. I think his length control is actually OK, but sometimes he seems to drift one down the leg side and then there's one a bit outside off. and It just lacks a little bit of consistency, but to to be one of the key bowlers in England's 3-0 victory in Sri Lanka is, is, is a great accolade. 18 wickets at 21.38, economy rate 2.69, which, which is actually much better than anybody else. You look at Pereira, who's the leading wicket-taker, he went at 3.1, Moen Ali went at 3.5, Rashid went at 3.4, Dan and Jaya, 4.85, uh, Pushback Amara went at you know, 3.4, etc., etc. So he, he was the most economical main bowler in the series, by, by actually quite a considerable distance. Uh, if you'd offered him those figures at the start of the 
series. I mean, I, I, you probably would have scarcely been able to believe it actually, because mm. I mean that that is a that is a fantastic start mm. to his test career. I know I know he played in Christchurch, but you know this this was yeah. his. This is where the focus was on him. Yeah, and uh, the summer he's had as well, where yeah. he was questioned about his action, and then he had an injured thumb, so he was out of the team for a while, didn't play. To come back as well as he has, it's terrific. I, I saw him actually on the comeback trail in Worcester, and he was uh, just trying to get his rhythm back with Peter Such in the nets at Worcester and the Lions before the India Test Series, which he didn't play in. And you could see a, a guy just sort of feeling his way back. And would he get back? You know, there have been so many stories in, in, the, in the past of left arms is totally losing it. Yeah, yeah. I, I played with two, you know, Tufnell and Phil Edmonds, particularly Phil Edmonds. He couldn't, he couldn't land it at Got all. the yips, didn't they? Got the yips. I mean, yeah. he couldn't literally be bowling double bouncers. He had to stand at the crease without a run-up and just bowl it down, and eventually, you know, he, he got he got to, he got into it again. And I've seen several other bowlers, you know, Simon Kerrigan actually seemed to almost have that kind of uh, anxiety that affected his bowling in that one Test match he played. It seems to afflict left arm spinners a lot. And I was a little bit worried when I watched Leach trying to to to, to get back after his injury and after his action had been questioned that, that he would rediscover what he's got. I think he has, or he's certainly on the way there. Yeah, well, an, an excellent uh, first series for him. I mentioned he played in Christchurch, just the one-off test match, but a first series or a chance to show what he was capable of. Uh, Leach, 18 wickets. Moen Ali, 18 wickets. And Adil Rashid, uh, 12 wickets. I'd like to say something about Ben Stokes. I think you know, when you just look at the bald facts of the series, you'd say, well, yeah, yeah Stokes contributed, you know, um, not nothing special, you know. Look at his wicket; he took five wickets in the series. He averaged thirty-one, but there were moments in the game where he, well, a played two very significant innings, and but b just sort of almost sort of grabbed the game mm. by the scruff of the net. That that performance to knock over Sri Lanka's uh, first innings yeah. in the third test and, all, and the run out, the, the, the stunning run out. I think you, know, you look back on the series and I think about the series as a whole and the, the, the outstanding moments. I can still see that Ben Stokes run out now getting rid of Karen Aratney, which is such an important moment in the series. And uh, people have asked why he's so effective with that short bowling attack round the wicket. And I think one of the reasons is that it makes use of not only his strength and his desire, but also the unusual action he's got because his right arm bowling arm is actually beyond the vertical, so it comes from about 11 o'clock. So when you go for over the wicket, it actually has the effect of being quite wide of the crease. But if you go round the wicket and get fairly close into the stumps with your front foot, your arm in that position, 11 o'clock, is actually coming from almost over the stumps. So it's actually almost wicket to wicket from that side of the, of the stumps. And that's probably why he's as difficult to play as anybody because... When you're bowling bouncers from round the wicket, generally no, it's it's pitching outside, way outside leg. You can just stand on your on, on your stumps and watch it go by. But with his angle from very close to the stumps with that arm and kind of coming back into you as well, the angle, I think it, it, it's a bit like Fl- Freddie Flintoff was very good at bowling round the wicket yeah. as well. And uh, it, it's a little bit like that. It's just this awkward angle. So it was coming back at the right-hander. They can't get out of the way. So he's made very good use of that. He's got a, a little bit of a uh, an issue coming up, of course, because there's this disciplinary yeah. hearing in December. And, I, I, you know, three or four months ago, I, I said I felt he... He probably was a bit lucky with the whole court case thing and that maybe he should get a bit more 
punishment, but I've decided that, that that's wrong now. Have you? And I think, yeah, I, I've decided against it. I had, in fact, I had a long chat with Neil Fairbrother, his agent, about this, and uh, and you know, he I listened to him quite carefully, and he made the point in the end that Stokes has been found not guilty, mm. and uh, that he's suffered quite a lot of serious disruption and financial loss in his life. Uh, as well as the, the sort of emotional I- issues that he had to deal with. And so he has suffered enough. And so, yes, I hope that the disciplinary committee, you know, see a, a sort of sympathetic line to Stokes. And his contribution in this series has been excellent. Yeah, well, I, I mentioned only taking five wickets because he's taken those five wickets at 20, which is actually the lowest average of any Fantastic. bowler who, who took part in the series. Any bowled mm. 31 overs, mind you. But then he also stood at slip and, and caught most of them as well. He's just that brilliant all-round package and you mentioned his punishment and his big punishment really uh, well, well there are several punishments actually but one of them was missing the ashes and that was just a punishment for him but it's also a punishment for all those England supporters I think that wanted England to do well and also the players that were out there playing I mean they mm. you know they must have known and uh, I mean, they never said it at the time because you can't can you as a player you can't say yeah we're missing Ben Stokes you have to get on with it but they you know they, they must have known there they went there without one of their most you know, potent uh, performers. Well, let's just hope that uh, the disciplinary committee have a Christmas spirit and <laughs> let Stokes off any any further penalties or punishments. And talking on Christmas, we, we, we should just mention that, that there is this still John Lewis voucher available with the Cricketer uh, subscription. If you subscribe to the Cricketer online at thecricketer.com forward slash Christmas, you get a £25 uh, John Lewis voucher to go with it. Now, have you thought about what you're going to buy your wife for Christmas yet? Because you maybe could give her a £25 John Lewis voucher. I, I get very nervous at this time of the year. <laughs> with, a, with, a, with, a month, with a month to go, it's, it's I start to get easy. very tense. It's, it isn't easy, is it? Because, you know, most of the, the women that we know have got everything already. And I don't know what, I don't know what to get with my girl. Well, they've got either. us as partners. What more could you want? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I mean, on the sort of subject of the year and the cricketer, um, this month's issue is out. And we, we decided to look back a little bit as well as uh, reflect England's excellent performances in Sri Lanka. We've got a piece here by the historian Stephen Chalk about the play resuming after the Great War, county cricket resuming after the Great War. And I, I just love this story. It's sort of time to coincide with the centenary of the Armistice Day, the, the, the end of the Great War, which was a couple of weeks ago. And I just love this story about uh, Warwickshire, who lost... Uh, seven of their players from the 1913 sort of era mm. were either dead or severely injured in the war. So their team was totally ravaged when they came back after the war. And there's a great story here about Arthur Denton of Northamptonshire, who had his leg amputated during the war, but reckoned with his artificial leg made of leather and cork, he could still play and he fielded close to the wicket and was allowed a runner when he batted. And he played for North Ants in two games in the 1918 uh, county season and made a 27 and a 32 or something. So, well done. So I wondered whether there was, there was some other stories about people who made incredible comebacks. Actually, I played with a guy in South Africa who had his leg bitten off by a shark. And we very meanly called him shark bait. But he played, he opened the batting for Grosvenor Finlands, which was a club in the Durban League. Mark Nicholas and I also played for it. And he opened the batting, had a runner, fielded at slip with an artificial leg. Uh, so I just wondered if there's some, you know, some other stories of people who had to play cricket with you know, serious 
impediments or uh, obstacles like that. And remind us the, 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 the email address is theanalystpodcast at gmail.com. So any stories of extraordinary adversity that, that players have dealt with. And we also want to ask you as well about your ways you would change cricket. There's one thing you would do, and we're coming to the we come to the end of England's international year. Uh, we're coming to the end of the year. You know, we often sort of look back and look forward at this time of the year. What's the one thing that you would change about cricket? Uh, yeah, I, I, me, I, I, I like the idea of ball tampering, and I know that sounds outrageous, and of course it would be a bowler who said it. But I've felt that over the years it's very difficult to really prove whether anyone was tampering or not so why not allow it and I when I say tampering I mean anything that is done with your fingers or your you know fluids or whatever uh sweat etc I don't mean you take implements out and you know use bottle tops or anything like that but anything that you can use with your fingers or natural body if you want to scratch the ball yes fine go for it so that was what you lifting lifting the seam lifting the seam yeah so you you would change that and bring it in straight away. Well, just give, I, I, are bowlers know, doing quite well at the moment? I anyway? think they are doing well at the moment, actually. Uh, and, and if I wasn't allowed to do that, then I'd say that every country should use the Duke's ball yeah. because the Kookaburra ball is every t- basically almost every team now has agreed it's a way better ball. Yeah. So in Test cricket, can we please use the Duke ball wherever we go? Yeah. And they may have to just tinker with it very slightly for the more abrasive conditions of Australia, but only slightly. It makes a better cricket. And I, I, I think that should come in as soon as possible. Yeah. Graham Munnings was making the point, actually, on the BBC Cricket Social today. He was saying that that's one of the problems. The only problem with the Duke's ball is that you play in abrasive conditions that you get abroad, say, in India or in Australia. It does get quite ragged quite quickly. And I suppose the, the Kookaburra ball is far more resilient, in a way. Well, sort I don't of, think it is. It sort of holds up better. Not really, no. The seam comes apart. I mean, they all get ragged in Australia. Right. They might need so to no, just... So there's not a huge difference there. I, I don't think there's a, a difference right. at all. It's, it's difficult to tell because we... The Duke ball hasn't been used much in Australia, although they did try it in the first half of the Sheffield Shield matches, and they liked it, generally. Yeah. Most of the players preferred it. Well, the thing I would change about cricket, I think there's an opportunity coming up next year, start of the World Test Championship. Australia against England is the first series in that Test Championship, the first matches that are going to be played. So it actually means that even even if England were 3-0 up after three matches, the, the last two games would actually count and would matter, unlike the last series. And I just had that feeling going to the MCG on Boxing Day. It just felt so anticlimactic. and was like, not quite why are we doing it, because we know why we do it. But, you know, it just lacked a bit of focus and intensity and a bit of point, which seems a strange thing to say about an Ashes Test match. Anyway, Test Championship coming up. The ICC need to really get behind it. They need to do things like pay the players properly, really engage them, prize money for for winning matches, prize money for for making progress in the competition, to to really encourage players to to want to play Test match cricket, to really make it worth their while because, of course, there are semi-temptations with T20 competitions all around the world and things like, you know, as well for spectator experience, get names and numbers on the on the back of players' shirts, you know, open the game up, to tell us who's playing. Mm. So I think I'd like to see a real focus on the Test Championship, not just sort of, not so we just sort of apologetically just sort of dribble into the Test Championship, oh, it's the first day of the Test Championship today, but actually sort of give it a real focus, almost mm. like launch it, if you like. And in a way, in connection with that, I want to see better imaginative use of all the facilities in the ground to help the punter enjoy the game. Because nowadays, TV coverage of cricket is so good yeah. that you, you go to a stadium and you, you, you get half the 
uh, quality, don't you? Because you you get a, a few replays on the big screen and all that. But I would like to see cricket better explained in the stadium, mm. almost not a live commentary. And obviously nowadays people are able to listen to the BBC or whoever they want to listen to Sky if they want on their little earpieces. But I want to see the big screens used much more imaginatively in all cricket to really explain the game better. Anyway, if you've got some thoughts out there about what you would like to see change in cricket, just you know, one thing, not loads and loads of things, but is there one thing that really bugs you about the game that you'd like to see change? We'd like to know about it. And the email address, again, is... Theanalystpodcast at gmail.com. And if you send us an email, your name will be entered in to a draw for Test Match Tickets for Lords for next summer, Ashes Tickets for next summer. We're going to do a draw in January after we've had a few emails, and so you could be the winner of some Ashes Tickets for the Lords Test Match in August of next summer. That, I think, should be it today. Uh, Just to say, next week we'll preview the the big Test Series of the next couple of months, Australia-India. I've been watching a bit of the Australia-India one day series and it's shaping up well. It was a one all in the T twenties with one match rained out. And Australia are looking a bit vulnerable. Their batting isn't convincing. And India, well, they, they could they could stage an upper upset. They've never won a test series yeah. in Australia. No, it's, it's a fascinating series in prospect. Really really looking forward to it. Um you, you made the point in the summer, I didn't quite believe you. Uh, well, I did believe you, but I just thought England were vulnerable as well. But you made the point about India's batting being a bit vulnerable as well. Mm. Well, I think it still is. Yeah. And so it's going to be which team batting side manages to cope with some very good bowlers yeah. that's going to, in the end, prevail. Anyway, that's it. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send those emails. And we'll speak to you next week. Bye for now. Podcast Network.